So let's talk. Part three of this series where three churches um, in Topeka are going after one topic. Um, today's um, topic is probably um, a little bit bigger than just one week. Uh, we could probably spend multiple weeks on this, um, but we're just, we've, we've only allotted one week for it. And um, I want to let you know before we even get to it, I'll probably say this a couple times, but the passage that I chose for today is probably going to raise some eyebrows. Um, it's, it's definitely one of those, okay, what does that mean type of passages, um, but, but hopefully um, what, what the reason I chose it for will come through loud and clear just because the imagery of it I think is so helpful. But here's, here's what I want to go after today. What are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? Let's just start over here, go from person to person, and we'll just, <clears throat> right? What are you most afraid of? Like public speaking. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. No, but then that's kind of where we automatically go. Like snakes, spiders, um, public speeding, public speeding, <laughs> public speaking, um, clowns. Some of you don't like clowns. There's, there's all kinds of, you know, that surface level stuff that we're afraid of. I actually want to go a little bit deeper than that. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, that, that those things are, are necessarily things we shouldn't be afraid of, but what's the thing below the thing? What's the fear below the fear? What are the, what are the things that keep you up at night that create some of those things that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, the burnout, the, the worry, the anxiety that just continues to eat and, and gnaw at you? That's the kind of stuff that I really want to go after. What are you most afraid of? I think it's a perfect illustration because of what um, Christiana and Trevor just did. A couple of years ago, I saw on Facebook a meme that said, parenting be like, and here's what it said. I have to make sure my child's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, underestimate, and properly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, processed foods-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard. <laughs> right? Is there anything more true than what we're dealing with? Like, we've got a lot of families, a lot of kids, a lot of, a lot of parents at Grace Point, and, you know, if we went around and talked about our greatest fear, one of those things is probably going to rise to the surface. Parenting. Raising kids, I, that's, that's up on the top of my list. That's, that's something that, that raises those fears in us. For some of you, it's a business thing, right? You started a business, trying to run a business, trying to figure out how to, to get more customers. You're trying to figure out how to expand this thing. Or maybe you change jobs um, or you're changing jobs and, oh, is this going to work out? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? Uh, for some of it's a money thing. Um, you consistently have more month than money, and that raises fears in you. Maybe it's a retirement thing. Am I going to be able to retire? Um, maybe for you, or maybe for some of us here or watching online, the greatest fear, the thing you're most afraid of, is being alone. That's a, that's a, a real legitimate fear in a lot of people these days, because Am I ever going to find that person? Am I ever going to get married? Or, or maybe it's, I did, I thought I found that person, but now it's no longer there. Am I going to be alone for the rest of my life? It's all kinds of things 
in life that we have control over, that we don't have control over, that raises these fears inside of us. Um, If you're a high school student or a college student, maybe the fear is, okay, did I major in the right thing? Am I going to the right school? Um, What if I take that job after graduation and that leads me down a path and in 20 years I figure out that's not the path that I want to go on and I should have taken this path. There's all of this stuff, all this anxiety, all this fear that kind of raises up inside of what are you most afraid of? Lots of things. Lots of different answers to that question. And what's fascinating, I just find this so fascinating, when you look at Scripture, like this is a little bit of a trivia question, some of you already know this, and I think it was actually Rick Warren that pointed this out years ago. But when you look at Scripture, if you had to guess how many times do not be afraid or fear not shows up, in the Bible over and over and over again? If you had to guess how many times, what would you say? Anybody know? 365 times. One for every day, right? Now, I don't know if God did that on purpose. I, I don't know if it's just coincidence. If you talk, you talk to some scholars and they'll say that the idea of fear or kind of this general idea of fear, it's actually more than 400 times. But the Bible talks about it. Because we fear. We fear. We get afraid. So God is a lot like a parent. He has to remind us over and over and over and over again. When my kids were five or six, I had to tell them over and over and over. I did not tell my kids one time to brush their teeth. I had to tell them over and over and over and over again. And God is a lot like a parent. He has to remind us over and over and over again. You read the Bible all the time. Remember, remember, remember. So what we're going to talk about today, like it's not really new news. This is more of a reminder. There might be some new things here and there, but today is more of a reminder. And and, and again, um, why does God remind us of that? I think number one, because we do fear. One of the natural reactions to life is for us to fear. It's the stuff that we have control over, the stuff that we don't have control over. We, we fear that. And fear is a natural emotion. It's a natural instinct. We talked about the whole bear thing. If you see a bear charging you, you run. You fight. You, that, that's fear coming out because of an external threat. So part of this, it's, it's just natural. There's a legitimate reason for fear at times. But most of the time, Most of the time, when you look at the majority of circumstances that create fear in us, in reality, fear rarely tells the truth. In fact, I would go so far as to say that fear normally lies to us. It normally lies to us. And follower of Jesus or not, like regardless if if you believe everything that we believe or you don't, we all face this. We all have things in our life that creates fear. Fear. We can all identify with fear, the idea that fear lies, because most of what we fear never comes true. Again, follower of Jesus or not, most of what we fear never comes true. Have you noticed this? Like, what did you fear 10 years ago? Do you even remember? And if you do remember, did that come true? What about last month? You remember what you fear, what you were afraid of last month? And us guys are like, I wasn't afraid of nothing. Right? Okay. What were you anxious about last month? Just call it whatever it is, right? Do you even remember? And, and if you do remember, did that come true? Like you were, you were walking into that interview and you weren't sure what they were going to say. You weren't sure how they were going to view you. 
You weren't sure if they were going to like you enough to give you the job, and here you are. You got the job. Or you were meeting her family. You were meeting his family. Like, some of you got to go further back than just the last couple of years. But you're meeting her family, meeting his family, and you're like, okay, are they going to like me? Are they going to accept me? And here you are today. Like, they, your in-laws treat you like one of their own kids. And there was so much fear around that. I can't say 100%. I won't say 100%. But most of what we fear never comes true. And the second thing, fear makes us believe what's possible isn't. Fear makes us believe what's possible isn't. Like you're standing on the doorstep of some new thing in your life, um, so much possibility, so much potential, and instead of, somebody, somebody help me with this, instead of thinking about all the things that could go right, we think about all the things that could go, anybody else there? That's me. Like so often, <clears throat> so much potential, so much possibility. Yeah, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And, and that's, what, that's what fear does. I can never pull that off. They would never work for me. They would never hire me. She would never go out with all these things that we just generate because of fear. Fear makes us believe that what's possible isn't. And that's not just psychobabble. It's pretty sound theologically as well. Paul reminds us in Philippians that in Christ, all things are possible. In Christ, all things are possible. Fear says, no, they're not. Jesus would never do that in you. He'd never forgive you for that. He'd never apply grace and mercy to that situation. He'd never get you through that. He, you can't handle that on your own. In Christ, all things are possible. And I'll put one more out there. This is one that, it's, it's just kind of my personal opinion. You agree, disagree, it's perfectly fine, but Here's, here's, in my experience with, in, in talking to people in my own life, here's, here's the other thing I think about fear, that ultimately, fear is a form of atheism. Because it says God can't, God doesn't, and God won't. And I want to drill down a little bit here. Mentally and theologically, I believe in God. Okay? I believe God exists mentally and theologically. But when it comes to my day-to-day -day stuff, I don't think he can, I don't think he does, and I don't think he will. Like, he created the universe, yeah, I get that, but he can't do this one thing here. Or, or if he could, he's not going to, he's not paying attention. Big picture, yes, I believe God exists. The day-to-day -day stuff, I don't think he was. Craig Groeschel calls that practical atheism. But the practical day-to-day -day stuff, I don't believe God will. So, <clears throat> as an example, did you notice what we just sang? Like some of you, <clears throat> if you're in the room with us, you're joining us on Live Live, online live, we just sang words and we don't sing words just to sing them. We sing words because we believe them to be true and we need to remind ourselves of this. So listen to this, what you just sang, what we just sang. Praise to the Lord who will prosper your work and defend you. Do you believe that? Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Ponder anew. That means remember. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriends you. Now, we sing songs like that all the time around here. 
We sing songs that speak of how God can do the impossible. We'll do it again here in a few minutes. I just wanted to prove that I could preach before four songs. We can, I can do that, all right? But one of the things that, that happens week after week after week, either we sing the words because we just sing them, or we sing them because they're true. And some of you, I get it, some of you think it, it's not. Some of you think it's a joke, it's time filler. But for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, it's, we sing these things to remind our souls that it's true. We sing these things because, I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded. I need to ponder anew what the Almighty can do. And at a certain point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to choose. Do I believe what he says or do I believe what fear says? Am I going to go with what the Almighty says or am I going to go with what my fear says? So here's what I want to do. I want you, okay, I already asked the question, what are you most afraid of? I actually want to take it all the way to the extreme. When you think about your fear, what you're most afraid of, here's my question for you today. What's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst case scenario in that situation? About a year ago, over uh, spring break, uh, we were in Bartlesville, just visiting family for a couple days and um, staying at my in-laws. And while we were there, my heart started doing some really, really weird stuff. It would speed up and it would slow down. It would speed up and it would slow down. And it would do that for 10 to 15 minutes at a time and it would stop. And then it would do it again and it would stop. And this just happened day after day after day after day. And this is where I could insert a joke about staying with my in-laws, but I love my (laughs) in-laws. Like, I married up. I got into a great family. They loved me like one of their own kids. So that's, that's not what it was. I was I, 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 it was a week off for me, so there wasn't a lot of work stress. Um, there was some school stress there a little bit, but not a whole lot. And so that, this is what I do. I take it to the worst case scenario. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, I could die. Like, I, I don't think I, I didn't want to die. I'm 42. Like, I, 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 I want to watch my kids grow up. I want to grow old with Jana. There's all these things. But what's the worst case scenario? Most people would say, well, I could die of a heart attack right there. Well, okay. Let's take it out to the worst case scenario. I'm well insured. My, my family is going to be taken care of. Um, my eternity is secure. I believe in Jesus. I place my faith in him as best as I can tell. On the other side of the heart attack, I'm good. So what's the worst case scenario? And for some of you, it is death. But for the follower of Jesus, no, it's not. What's the worst case scenario? Tim Ferriss, um, he's, a, he's an author and podcaster. He talks about this thing called fear setting. It's like goal setting, except for fear. I know it sounds weird, okay? And he says, he says the problem, I don't agree with everything he says, but he says the problem with a lot of us is, we don't take our fear far enough. We just sit in it. We just stew in it. We just allow it to, to affect our day-to-day life and our, our life in general. He says, no, play it out. Play it out as far as you possibly can. So what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I could be single for the rest of my life. Well, what's the worst thing about that? Well, I'll be alone. Okay, um, is there anything that you can do about that? Can you, can you find community? Can you find friendship? Do you think God abandons you because you never get married? Well, I'll never have kids. Okay, what's the worst thing that can happen there? Like, take it all the way to the worst case scenario. 
And usually, he talks about this, usually what happens is at the very beginning of that, our fear spikes. It's like Omicron. It just goes straight up, okay? And our, our fear goes crazy. But the more you do it, the more it just comes down and you're like, wait a minute, I can handle that. I think, I, can, I, think, I think Jesus can still meet me there. I think I can deal with the implications of that. And you start to realize, hmm, even in the worst case scenario, I'm good. But if you just sit in it, if you just stew in it, if you just let fear whisper into your ear, that's when this happens and it never comes down. So if we're going to take Jesus seriously, and I take Jesus seriously, I don't take life, I don't take myself very seriously. But the thing I see in Scripture over and over and over again, because I'm going to keep pointing you to Scripture, the thing I keep coming back to when it comes to fear is that too often we fear a battle that's already been won. Too often, that is where we go. We know, like, again, I'm talking on a macro scale. We know how the story ends. Like, I've read to the end of the book, good guys win. The good guys win. Resurrection wins. Hope wins. Jesus and his kingdom wins. So you go all the way to the end, that's what happens. But here's, here's where we're at. We're not at the end, we're in the middle. We're living in, we, we know there's this, this epic battle between good and evil that's happening in the heavenly realms. And what do we do in the meantime? Well, one of the things that we do is too often we fear a battle that's already been won. So the passage I want to look at today, it's from the Old Testament. This is one of those passages that many people go to and, and, and they say things like, that's why I don't believe in the God of the Bible. That's why I don't read the Bible. That's why I can't believe in God. How could a loving God do that? I get that. We'll actually come back to that in a minute. But I just don't want you to miss this idea of fearing a battle that's already been won. This is something that happened thousands of years ago that I believe foreshadows what's happened in Jesus. And it's also foreshadows what's going to happen at the end of time. Okay. So to understand this passage, I got to give you a little bit of context around the passage. And, and the context I'm going to give you is not near enough. Um, I, I, I need to spend hours on this, okay? But I only got a few minutes. So Joshua 10 is where we're going to be if you have a Bible or a mobile device. Um, Joshua chapter 10. Joshua is the successor to Moses. You guys have heard of Moses. Moses is the guy who leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt into or, or towards the doorstep of the promised land. That's where the Ten Commandments happen. That's where you know, the ten plagues in Egypt happens. That's where Charlton Heston parts the Red Sea, if you've seen the movie, um, all that stuff. That's Moses, okay? So they spend 40 years wandering in the desert, and an entire generation dies off. And I could make the case it was because of fear. I can make the case that it was because they did not, they feared other things other than fearing God. And because of that, an entire generation dies off, including Moses, and the next generation, with their leader, Joshua, enters the promised land. The, pro the problem was, in the promised land, the promised land was not vacant. There are people already living there. There are people, which means there's some battles that they got to fight, and by the time that we reach Joshua chapter 10, um, Jericho had already happened, if you know the story of Jericho. Um, I had already happened, if you know the story there. And Gibeon had already happened. So they've already fought some battles. They've already won some battles, but they were still fearing the next battle. Over and over and over again, Joshua tells them, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. God is with us. God has given us the land. 
and they still feared. I mean, put yourself, put yourself in their shoes. If you marched around a walled city and blew a trumpet and the wall fell, what would you be afraid of? Like, God is obviously with us. We just took out a city with the band. <laughs> right? What do you have to be afraid of? And yet, you find the people of Israel being afraid over and over and over again. So the story we're going to look at had to do with five kings who, who had joined, who kind of made this coalition to fight against the Israelites. Now, when we read the Old Testament, and we get to this idea of kings in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but my mind goes to King of England or you know, King David, this great ruler who rules over a large piece of land. That's not what it was like at all. These were kings of city-states. So it would be like the King of Silver Lake or the King of Lawrence or the King of Topeka, right? These were, these were ancient mayors who ruled over these little walled cities. And so these five kings in particular, they got really nervous because this army shows up out of the middle of nowhere and they're moving towards their cities and they're thinking, okay, if they beat Jericho, if they beat Ai, if they beat Gibeon, yeah, we're next. And so they join together. They make this coalition. They're, they're afraid. And at the same time, Joshua is telling these, these children of former slaves, children and grandchildren of former slaves, guys, God's already given us. God's, God, God's already given us the land. Don't be afraid. That's where we pick up the story. Joshua chapter 10, starting verse 16. Now, the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Makeda. When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave at Makeda, he said, roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. So Joshua and the army of, of Israel is in a place of power. Their enemies are on the run. He makes a strategic decision to, to put the leaders, keep the leaders imprisoned in this cave. And then he tells the rest of the army, but don't stop. Don't stop. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear and don't let them reach their cities for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. There it is again. Guys, God has already given us this. He's already provided the win. We just have to obey. We just have to keep on trusting that he's going to provide a way. Verse 20. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely. Now in Hebrew, there's something really interesting in the language here. Um, it, it talks about completely defeating the enemy. In Hebrew, it's a, double, it's, a, it's a double meaning. It means completely defeated slash completely devoted. So it's this idea that Israel is taking something that, doesn't belong to, that didn't belong to God and putting it underneath his authority. Go all the way back to the beginning of the story, Okay. Genesis chapter two, God puts everything under the authority of man, right? Rule over, your dominion over. And you see that show up in the story all the time. We're gonna take back what isn't God's and we're gonna devote it to him, to which some of you go, I'm just gonna call this out. That sounds like an excuse for a lot of violence and bloodshed, Tim. Like, isn't that kind of what Putin's doing in Ukraine? Not exactly, not exactly. But what's with all the violence? Great question, so let's talk about this. You see all over the Old Testament, and frankly, you'll find much worse than you find in Joshua 10, okay? But two things. Number one, the Old Testament is not the end of the story. 
And if you go into the Old Testament and make, draw your theology all around what's happening in the Old Testament, you get incomplete. So you've got to go to the end of the story. We're going to talk about this here in a little bit. But when you start to view everything that happens in the Old Testament through the lens of what Jesus does on the cross, it makes a whole lot more sense. Okay? Secondly, and this is how I understand it. I'm not saying the entire answer is here, but it's how I understand it. That God understands how awful human nature can be. God understands this. It's not like the promised land was full of peace-loving people who were just going to hand over their land. Um, When you study what happened in this point in history, what Israel does when they take the land is actually the lesser of some of the evils that were being committed by the other nations and people groups. And again, to our eyes, to our ears, it sounds terrible. To their ears, to their eyes, to their worldview, it would have been tame. It would have been tame. So think with me. What would it have been like for them to follow a God who was completely distant and removed from that? What would it be like for them to worship a God who said, well, actually, I just kind of want you to go in there and talk with them about giving them the land. Like, just negotiate with them. To, to, to hear that from, again, from our, from our perspective, that doesn't make any sense. But God understands how awful human nature can be. And for us to get our minds around this, we just have to come to the terms with the idea that this is good news to them, that the God they were following and worshiping understood how awful human history, how awful humanity can be at this point in history. It was good news to them that the God they worshiped understood what they were faced with. In the same way, God understands how awful nature, how awful human nature can be today. So let's bring it home. He understands your addiction. He understands how awful human nature can be. He understands that thing that you do that you don't want anybody else to know about. He sees you. He knows what that is. And, and, and the question is, do you want a God that's distant and removed from that? That he, he sees your life? He sees the way that the world is and says, I'm so disgusted by that, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm not going to be involved with you or your life. I see what's happening in your culture. I can't even. No. God understands how awful human nature can be, and he entered into it. That's mercy. That's mercy. In, in the Old Testament, he entered into it by sending his people his representation into it to redeem it. And yes, that included bloodshed. In our day and age, in our season of of the world, he entered into it through Jesus to redeem it, which included bloodshed. Except this time, it was the king himself who shed his blood on behalf of us. That's mercy. And again, You have to read to the end because if you think the violence is justified because it's recorded in the Old Testament, you haven't read or understood the New Covenant. We're going to spend some time talking about that leading up to Easter. But when you look, when you look at the New Covenant, when you look at the crucifixion, we threw the worst of humanity directly at Jesus. Hatred, torture, rejection, suffering, and death. Like God shows up on the world stage 
in human form, and that's what we do to him. We do the thing to him that we hate in us. This is the story of Jesus. We did that to him, but God turned it into life. He can take terrible things from our eyes. He can take the worst from our eyes, and he can turn it into something that brings life, which is why I say you have to look at all of this stuff through the lens of Jesus. And I, I know it's not an emotionally satisfying answer, right? It's not an answer you go, okay, I feel so much better about all that stuff in the Old Testament now. It just doesn't. But that is part of the answer. It's, it doesn't complete the whole answer. It's part of it. It helps us understand. Okay, why is this in the story? Well, it's one of the chapters in the story. Go back, back to Joshua, verse 20. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely, but a few survivors managed to reach their fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp of Makeda, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. So they're completely, totally terrified of them at this point. They show up out of nowhere. They're the dominant power. Watch this. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who a week ago would have said this was impossible. They would have been terrified of these five kings. There's no way that God will do this. But Joshua says to the commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. Now again, if you read history at this point, these five kings, whenever they defeated somebody, this is what they would do to the people that they defeated. And Joshua is borrowing something from culture. He's redeeming something for cult from culture in order to devote it to God. He says, I just want you guys to remember, look what God has done. Look what God has done. A week ago, you, you, you guys thought there was no way. You were terrified of these kings and their armies. You saw no way forward. You couldn't see a way to defeat them. And now they ran from you, number one. And now you've conquered them and their land. So remember this day. If you keep on reading, that's what he says. Remember this day. Mark this moment as a moment where all that you thought was impossible is happening right before your eyes. Now, is that a gross image? Yes, absolutely. Should we or would we condone or sanction that today? No, we absolutely shouldn't. We absolutely shouldn't. But for us to be reminded, for us to see that God can actually do the impossible, God can work in ways that we have no idea. We see stories like this, and it, it's a little offensive. And then we take a step back, and oh my goodness, that was, that was the way that God was showing them he had already won that battle. And they just needed to believe him. What in the world? What in the world do we learn from that? We're not going to go out and put our feet on the necks of our enemies. But maybe, just maybe, we should go out and put our feet on the necks of our fears. Just maybe. And, and what does that look like? I don't know. I think you should figure that out. I think you should wrestle with that. What does it look like for me to do instead of listening to my fear, to listen to God. So just a few questions to wrap up, and then I want to I tell a story. Three questions for you. Number one, what do you think God could never do? 
What do you think God can ever do? He spoke the universe into existence with a word. He defeated death. What do you think he can't do? What do you think he can never do? Because when we allow fear to rule, that is a way of saying, God can't do this. God can't do this. Second question. What have you excluded from the realm of what's possible in Christ? And that, that, that takes a little bit more time. Like, what if you said, okay, even if I never find someone, even if things go sideways financially, even if things go sideways with this job interview, even if I die, like, even if someone I love dies, can Jesus still be present and real in that? Can, can he still be good in spite of that? If anything is possible through Christ, then that's possible. And what are we, what are we afraid of? And then finally, what's the fear under your fear? What's the fear under your fear? What are you really afraid of? Like, identify that. Figure out what that is. And, and you go, okay, does that mean that I'll never be afraid again? Because I was kind of hoping this message was about never being afraid again, Tim. I don't know if that's possible or even healthy. <laughs> but I do believe. I do believe that we can live in such a way that fear doesn't rule our lives. I do think we, we have a choice to obey what Jesus says is true or what fear whispers to us. I do think we have a choice between those two things. So back in 2007, Janet and I had one of those um, God has already won the battle moments, and it actually included some of you guys. Um, at that point, we were serving in student ministry here at the church, and um, our senior pastor, Pastor Ed, had resigned to move on to a new uh, ministry position. And um, in our denomination, when the senior pastor resigns, that kind of puts all of the staff's resignation on the table to give space for the new senior pastor to come in and decide if they want to keep the staff or hire their own. It doesn't mean we had to leave, but the possibility exists. So, so Janet and I knew at that point, you know what, it, it might, be, might be one of those things where we're, we're going to move. Um, on top of that, Jana was pregnant with Mason, with our daughter. She was due in September. So not only was I thinking about moving and starting a new job, I was dealing with the thought of providing for a pregnant wife and soon-to-be family of four. And so needless to say, we were a little bit anxious in that moment, right? Like we didn't need anybody to tell us to pray about it, okay? <laughs> have you ever been in one of those moments? Like, oh, I didn't think about that. I should have been praying about this, right? <laughs> And, and there was something that happened in my life that brought a measure of peace and all that. I've, I've shared some of that before, but it was, almost, it was almost like God just reminded me, hey, I know what's going on, <laughs> and it's going to be okay. Like, I got this. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, he had already won the battle. I didn't know how. I didn't know when he was going to do it. I, I, there was just this confidence that he was going to work things out. So, I kind of sat back, I watched as he did, and the rest is, is it's literally history, right? And, and for Jan and I, that was a fearful, anxious time from our perspective. But from God's perspective, that was all about showing his faithfulness to us and our family. Like from his perspective, it was completely different. And yeah, 
I, I'm not going to sit here and say I never doubted and, and there was no fear. No, there were some doubts. There were some moments where fear creeped in and started whispering to me, but we watched God work and provide and direct all throughout that season. And I cannot tell you, I can't, like, I can't communicate how much I would regret it today if we would have bailed. Because there was an easier, safer, more comfortable route and nobody would have questioned us. I had a kid on the way. I, I needed insurance, right? So there was an easier, safer, more comfortable way. Nobody would have, abs- nobody would have, 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 have batted an eye. But if we would have listened to that fear, we would have missed out on a lot of really good things in our life. And I would have had that hanging over, we would have had that hanging over us for the rest of our life. And instead, like Joshua and the commanders of the army, I have a story to tell. I have a story to tell. I have a story to tell my kids. I have a story to tell my grandkids where God's faithfulness that was always sure intersected with my faith that wasn't always sure. And whenever that happens in my life, I don't know about you, whenever that happens in my life, that just jacks up my faith. It just builds my faith. It just reminds me once more again, oh yeah, I should listen to what he says about me instead of what fear says to me. And again, you have, you have stories like that. I have, I have other stories like that. So, so I'll ask again, what are you most afraid of? Like, what are you most afraid of? What's that thing that keeps you up at night? Did you know that might be the place of God's greatest opportunity in your life right now? That might be the thing. That might be the stage that God is wanting to show up in your life in a practical way. And, and the challenge is to stop praying, God, fix it. God, remove it. God, get me out of this. And start praying, God, would you leverage this for your glory? God, would you do something in me in such a way that brings you glory and gives me a story to tell about your goodness in my life? Take advantage of this in some way. What are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? You'll have a story to tell because when you're paralyzed with fear, you step back, you get the proper perspective, you realize your fear was lying to you, you realize you were fighting a battle that was already won, and you'll see your faith and God's faithfulness intersect in your life, and you'll never be the same. Will you have to be reminded of it over and over again? Yep. Over and over and over again. Pretty much every year on Mason's birthday, we tell this story. Because I gotta be reminded. And I want to remind her that God is at work. God is faithful, even in the midst of your greatest fear. So we're going to sing about this. Um, Maybe you don't believe the words that we're going to sing. That's okay. Many people around you do, so maybe you just need to allow us to sing it over you. But let me pray for you, and then we'll sing together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. The, the, the parts that are easy to understand, the parts we like, and the parts that are not easy to understand, the parts we don't really like. And Father, my, my, my prayer is that we would be the kind of people, or at least I would be the kind of person that looks at, at fear, knows, understands, realizes, my eyes are open to the fact that most of the time it's lying to me. And then I need to look at where you're working in my life because of that. It's like a red flag. 
God, there's all kinds, I know, there's all kinds of fears that are represented in this room. There's all kinds of fears represented by the people that are watching this online. God, would you speak your truth? Would you bury your truth deep inside of us? Through your word. Over these next few minutes, over the next few days, the next few months, the remaining years that we have in this world. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.